What does the Bible say about the last days? We'll get some answers today on Growing Grace. So stay with us. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I say let this world know me by your the modern beatitude that says, blessed is he who expects nothing, for he shall never be disappointed, is pretty bleak. It means that you've lost hope. Though the Bible tells us we can expect difficulty in the last days, it also promises God's deliverance as well. The Bible and the last days, that's our focus today and tomorrow here on Grow in Grace. Our teacher, Pastor Ed Ray, picks up where we left off in 2 Timothy and chapter 3 tells us about living in the last days. To tell us what to expect from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, here's Pastor Ed. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power from such people turn away. For of this sort there are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins led away by various lusts, always learning, and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifested obvious to all, as theirs also was. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to be at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, that the woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's stop there and pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We ask that you'd speak to us from it, that it would be food for our soul, and that we would be drawn closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I like to think about the things that kids say that are a lot of fun. This is a little girl who sent a note to her pastor. Her name is Amy. She says, Dear Pastor, I heard you say that we are to love our enemies. Well, I'm six years old and I do not have any yet. I hope to have some when I'm seven. Your friend, <laughs> love Amy. Oh, they're coming, Amy. <laughs> yes, they are. Sunday school teacher told the story of the prodigal son. 
to her class. And when she finished, she asked, was anyone sorry when the prodigal son returned? And the little boy answered, the fatted calf. <laughs> Did not go good for him. One more, a mom was scowling over her very bad report card that her son had received, and he looked up and said, well, what do you think, mom? Is it heredity or environment? <laughs> nice cover. <laughs> One more, and this is a true story. A young police recruit, a CHP recruit, was asked during the exam, what would you do if you had to arrest your own mother? He thought a moment and said, call for backup. <laughs> <laughs> So we're looking at kind of the high ground of Scripture that uh, talks about Scripture, the Bible. It says that statement that it is God-breathed Scripture. There is a treasure in all of our homes. It is a thing that often is missed in the world. I was reading about a young boy in Lyme, Connecticut, a fifth grader. His name is Brigham Bryant, and he liked artwork little young to be uh, focused on art, but he was, because his dad was a collector. And he really liked this picture in the library of this elementary school that sat behind the librarian's desk. And he asked if he could go around and look at it. He really got interested, told his dad all about it. Dad says, that sounds pretty familiar. And he asked permission to go into the library and look at it, and he was right. It was a 75-year-old portrait that was on the wall that was worth $1.5 million. And the little struggling elementary school had no idea what it was worth because it had just been sitting there and neglected for all these years. Well, as I said, many homes have a treasure on their bookshelf or maybe it's sitting on the coffee table or maybe it's underneath a bunch of stuff, but it's the treasure of God's Word. And Paul brings that truth out in this section of Scripture, and in the next chapter we'll look at next time also, the importance of Scripture in framing our lives, in giving us insights into the real meanings of life. And he's writing to a young man. If you're just joining us, we've been working our way through the Bible verse by verse, and this second letter of Paul the Apostle is to a young man who is a pastor. We believe it's his first pastorate, and it's a, a very difficult city that he's working in, Ephesus. Now, maybe not by coincidence, a group of us went from the church over the last couple of weeks to visit Ephesus. It's an astounding site archaeologically. It had one of the seven wonders of the world, Temple of Diana, the Library of Celsus. What a tremendous impact on your life to be in the place that the Scripture is written about and all the difficult things that Paul went through in this city. So that's the background for this letter. Following the footsteps of Paul, Paul is an amazing man of God to uh, look at and to really strengthen us. Now this church, and when I say church, I don't mean one individual building. Of course, this is the first century, and almost all the churches were in houses, house churches, and there were many of them within the city of Ephesus. But they were uh, under persecution. They were suffering. And Timothy, as the overseer, what some denominations would call the bishop of the area, the episcopos, he's trying to keep all these various pressures, these darts that are coming at him, in the right perspective. So Paul, who's mentored him, is encouraging him. They're under pressure from both the government, uh, the Roman government was starting to persecute Christians because they wouldn't worship Caesar, who they said was a deity, 
and also from within the church, that members who had at one time been strong leaders in the church, we've read about, two of them, two men, uh, turned away from God and kind of started their own religion. And they're drawing people out of the church. So Paul is encouraging this young man who is discouraged and giving him, for our benefit now, the encouragement of what it means to live in difficult times. So this section of scripture breaks up into three parts. Last day's symptoms things that will happen in the last days, of which we are in, according to Scripture. Salvation through faith, 14 and 15, and then this last kind of sweeping statement about Scripture, that all Scripture is God-breathed. God has breathed it out through men, 16 and 17. So that's where we're going. First part's filled with symptoms, 19 of them, that are not very edifying. So we're going to go through that part rather quickly although it does convict us where we are and what's going on in these days. But let's jump into verse 1 and go rather quickly through the first 13 verses. But know this, Paul says to this young pastor, know that in the last days, perilous times will come. The phrase last days appears 16 times in Scripture, 9 in the Old Testament, 7 in the New. And it's an epic, an age. It's not a number of days. And it began when Jesus started his ministry, according to the author of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 1.1 says, God, who at various times and in different ways spoke in the past through the prophets to the fathers, has in these last days, last days, spoken to us by his Son. So in the last days, of which we are part of. Now, we know Scripture teaches in Acts chapter 2, Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost, and he quoted Joel saying, in these last days. So it goes on to today. For 2,000 years, we're in the last days. And the concept is that this is the age, this is the epic, this is the time of the Gentiles. This is the time when God is had opened the floodgates of non-Jewish people on the earth to come into his kingdom. It will close according to prophecy, but at this time it's open to Gentiles especially. So Paul is going to give this list of what it means to be in perilous times, he says, disturbing times. The Greek word is only used one other time in Scripture describing the two fierce men, the Gadarenes, that Jesus cast demons out of in Matthew 8.28. So this period of time is what we're still in now. And as we get to the end of the last days, it will increase. And here's the things we are to look for. Verse 2. Men will be lovers of themselves. Good thing that's not happening. Lovers of money. That's not happening either. Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. So, of course, that's been true in every generation since this letter was written, but it will increase in the last days. The word men here, anthropos, is humanity, not males only. It's equal opportunity here, ladies, in all these scriptures. Lovers of themselves, phileo. Phileo means to love, brotherly love of yourself. Atoi is in the Greek language, so it's phileo. You automatically love yourself. That's an interesting term because it says that we all love ourselves. That may not sound right if you have a background in psychology, but that's what God says. This is Growing Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. He's been describing what the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 about the last days. 
Pastor Ed continues with a compelling illustration that what God says about self-love is true. If I took a picture of this crowd this morning and it was up on the information table next week and you came in, you'd look at it and who's the first person you'd look for? Because we love ourselves and we say, oh, no, no, I hate, my, I hate that picture. <laughs> Not, okay? <laughs> Why do you hate that picture? Well, there's some nice people there, but my picture doesn't look good and I, I love me. And lovers of themselves, you know. Well, no, it'll be those last days when we see magazines like Self or Me, or we see people running around with cameras doing selfies. We're not there yet, but it's, it's coming. <laughs> lovers of money. Phileo argoso. Argoso is silver. Lovers of silver. Lovers of money. That materialism becomes a driving force. They are lovers of themselves automatically, but they also love material things. After all, I'm worth it, kind of an idea. Boasters, a uh, Greek word describes a swagger to your walk. We still say, well, he struts like a rooster kind of a thing, you know. That does happen occasionally. Proud, an attitude of treating others with contempt because you're so self-centered. Blasphemers, pushing themselves into other people's business and saying bad things about them, including God. Disobedient to parents, don't need to explain that. Unthankful, people who receive everything from God but fail to recognize it. Never thank Him or never grateful and unholy, profane before the temple, before God, uh, before you come into God. Everything is outside against God in daily conversation. Verse 3, and it goes on, unloving, unforgiving, slanders without self-control, brutal, despisers of good. The unloving is, uh, means without natural affection. Stordros is the Greek word for family love, familial love. And A, the letter A in front of it, means without. Without love for children, something like that. Without love uh, for anyone in your family. Abnormal family relationships, abandoned children, spousal abuse, etc. Great quote by Chris Jammy. She said, the anger of God is never an evil anger. God gets angry because he loves people like a mother would love her child if someone were to harm it. There's something wrong if the mother never gets angry. It is safe to say that person is an unloving mother. So if you're a mom and you've been angry and it's Mother's Day, let me encourage you. <laughs> it's part of being a mom. I like to think of my own mom in that I drove her to her knees. I was the reason she became a Christian. <laughs> it's always good to be helpful spiritually in people's lives. Gone to be with the Lord and God bless her. He is. Unforgiving, uh, truce breakers, refusing to keep a covenant, uh, an oath made to someone else. Slanders, diabolicals, plural. One translation says men shall be devils because that's uh, what this is describing. Without self-control, uh, uncontrolled passions, fierce, brutal, savage, that there would be city streets that were unsafe even in broad daylight, asphalt jungles, major cities in our nation. Despisers of good, haters of things that are good and pure and right and real. Verse 4, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Traitors in this, as in the sense of a country, yes, but probably more importantly of individuals. You can't trust them because they would betray you. Headstrong, recklessly heady, haughty, high-minded, blinded, or drunk with pride. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Pursuing pleasure 
And that, of course, extinguishes any sense of spirituality, of even recognizing that it exists. Having the form of godliness be denying its power and from such people turn away. The form of godliness refers to the outward appearance. So Paul is warning Timothy about these two guys who were pastors, evidently, who went sideways and now are drawing people with them. And, and just a word on that because I'm astounded how many people I talk to who are mad at God because some pastor let them down, some church when they were growing up, or, or maybe something horrible like abuse. But Paul is saying of Timothy, you need to get away from these people. Now, he's not saying that they should not be allowed to come to church, and I, I see people struggling with this. The doors of this church are open to anyone who is a sinner, which would be all <laughs> of us. And so we're not respecters because God is not a respecter. I don't care what your sin is. God doesn't care what your sin is as long as you come to him and the cross and ask for forgiveness. If you're sitting here this morning and you're not a believer and you're wondering if you're welcome, you are. You're more than welcome. If you're a flaming atheist, you're especially welcome here because I used to be, I were one. <laughs> and so we're glad that you're inquiring and, and we encourage you, please come back. And God is looking for us to welcome you. And so I'm trying to be just as clear as can be about that. So I didn't want you to misunderstand, turn away from people. Don't spend your life around people who will drag you down spiritually. Make sure you have enough people who love Jesus more than you do in your life so you'll be able to stand upright. I always make that true in my own life. Make sure that I have friends who are not believers yet, and I use that word strongly, yet, because I'm praying for them, and I believe God will do that. Verse 6, for out of this sort are those who creep into households. And I believe Paul is talking about these two pastors who have done this in the city of Ephesus, make captives of gullible, the word is vulnerable women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts. This is not a chauvinistic statement, ladies. In that culture, first century, the men worked the fields, and for the most part, the women had to do everything by hand, right? We got no refrigerators. We got no running water in many places, although the nicer homes in Ephesus actually had hot and cold running water. You've got, you know, grind the wheat and all those sort of things. So they were at home, and Paul is saying that these two men have done this. They'd entrapped women in their home, verse 7, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. There's a danger of chasing after new truth all the time. I, I have a, a family member from my family who changes churches like I change my socks, which is daily, by the way. And <laughs> so she goes through all kinds of churches and just as weird as you can even think of because she's always looking for the newest tantalizing thing, which makes you vulnerable to hearing just weird doctrines taught. That's what Paul is talking about, never coming to the epignosis, the, the truth of God, eternal truth, truth that will last through eternity, never actually going there. Now, as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth, men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith. And so this whole section is still talking about these two guys, two pastors that failed in Ephesus and are now dragging people away, and they're like these two men. Who are these two men? Well, this is the only place in Scripture that their names are given, but this is from Exodus chapter 8, when Moses, you remember, Charlton Heston, <laughs> uh, we, we always know the Old Testament from the movies, right? 
But those two guys that were there, when Moses threw down his staff and it turned into a snake, and the other two guys threw down their staffs and it turned into a snake too, and they were both Jews who had been priests who had gone bad. And that's the picture Paul is giving us here. And their names are not given in Exodus, but they are in some non-biblical places. These two, Exodus 8, 18 and 19. They abandoned their faith in God to work for the other side. And that's what Paul is saying about these two men. They abandoned their faith in God who were pastors who went sideways. But they'll go no further, verse 9. They will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest, displayed to all, as theirs, the two guys in Egypt, were when Moses brought lice on them and they couldn't do anything about it and boils so they couldn't even stand. You can go read the story, film at 8, verse 10. But you, but you, Timothy, you, believer, have carefully followed my doctrine. Well, wait a minute, he's talking to Timothy about Timothy following Paul. (laughs) We're following Paul because Paul left us all these letters to help Timothy that actually help us too. You've carefully followed my teaching doctrine, Latin word dotria, that means beliefs that a person holds. You understand what I believe, my manner of life. You watched me every day, you knew. You traveled with me all over the Roman world when there were no other means of transportation except your feet and an occasional ride on a donkey. Manner of life, my purpose. I was focused on eternity, not caught up in the things of today. Faith, trust in Jesus Christ, long-suffering, being patient, hanging on through difficult times, love, agape, agapos to other people making other people their highest good, your driving force in your life. You love God with your whole heart, mind, and soul, and you love your neighbor as yourself. Love, perseverance, hupomunde, to stay under the load, the Greek word means. When things are going badly, you continue. Verse 11, persecutions, suffering. Every one of you who are real believers suffers, goes through persecution. People talk about you, they criticize you, it gets back to you. Maybe it's even more open than that. You've been disowned from your family because you've come out of some other religion, some cult or something. It is the reality of every true Christian's life. You will suffer for being a Christian. Maybe you won't get the job you wanted. Maybe you won't have the relationship with somebody you wanted because you're too religious, you're too Christian. But whatever the way it manifests itself, promotion, getting to a school, It's the reality of every person's life. So Paul says, I suffered persecution and afflictions, physical pain, and it happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium and Lystra, and that's not very far from Ephesus, but Paul mentions this because that's where this young man Timothy was from, that his family was in Lystra, and it was there that Paul was stoned. They tried to kill him, and they left him outside the city. So he's referring to that, so Timothy will remember the difficult things that Paul went through. So it happened near your home. Persecutions, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all, the Lord delivered me. You're listening to Pastor Ed Ray on Growing Grace and a study in 2 Timothy chapter 3 about the last days. It's not hard to see. We're living in the last days. Did you miss a portion of the message, or was there a part you wanted to hear again? 
Just go online to thepackinghouse.org for a replay. We archive our programs there for you so you can listen anytime you'd like. That's thepackinghouse.org or listen to us on Apple Podcasts. One more option is to call and ask for a CD copy at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. Grow in Grace is made possible through the generosity of our listeners, and we're thankful for each and every gift that comes our way. If you've been blessed by the teaching you've received through this radio program and would like to support what we're doing in this new year, please give us a call at 844-77-GRACE. And as a way of saying thank you, we'll send you Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. This book brings together what Lewis saw as the fundamental truths of Christianity. And in it, he sets out to defend the beliefs that believers through the ages hold in common. And I know you'll be encouraged by what he has to say. So again, you can ask for your copy of Mere Christianity when you give today. Give us a call, 844-77-GRACE. Then join us for the next Grow in Grace as we continue through the Bible with Pastor Ed Ray. This program is brought to you by the Packing House Christian Fellowship and online at packinghouse.org. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed, and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your.